Welcome to Beyond the Roadmap, Product Talk with AWH, a podcast for product people by product people. Join us as experts share their experiences and expertise to help you build great products. Ryan Lunka, good to see you, my friend. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. Um, so we're going to dig into integrations mostly and have a conversation about integrations and APIs and integrations as a product and why integrations are often an afterthought. And even though API as a product has sort of been out there for a while, it still doesn't feel fully embraced and doesn't seem to still be sort of taken seriously, even though there's now at least some thread of content and perspective around it that, that you know, it should be taken more seriously, you know, than it is. Let's start out though, give people, you know, a 30 second, you know, update on what you're doing now. And, and that'll help it sort of inform the conversation and, and why I think your background and sort of interest in, in integrations is, gives you the ability to sort of talk to integrations better than most people. Sure. Uh, so for the last 14 or 15 months, uh, I've been uh, the co-founder for Blended Edge, and we're a Columbus company here. And what we do is pretty simple. We help SaaS product teams build more integrations faster. Uh, and we do that by providing software that helps them operationalize their whole integration program, kind of soup to nuts, create that sort of efficient output of integrations so you can build up that library to all sorts of different products. Prior to that, I, uh, I worked as head of product and for a while, chief operating officer at N Channel, which is another Columbus uh, company here. And that was a integration platform for retailers and e-commerce merchants. So that's uh, spent a lot of time at that company. It's kind of where I cut my teeth on integration. And then prior to that, and where I actually met my co-founder, Rob, uh, we used to do enterprise implementations of the Adobe Marketing Cloud and a lot of different kind of integration there. Um, but that's a lot of just enterprise software implementation and all of that, uh, all of that, what, what, all of what that entails. So why do you think that APIs and integrations as a whole are still not sort of treated with the level of, of respect that they, they should be. And why has the sort of concept of API as a product integrations as a product to support, right. A larger product, right. Why are we still not more mature around the integration API space? I mean, it's a big question. I think there's, um, there's probably a few reasons for it. Uh, I think a big one is if you look at sort of the product management methodologies that most people are taught, uh, even think of like lean startup and just all these different philosophies that are out there about how to build products, they don't tend to put a ton of focus on this kind of stuff. They tend to be a lot more inward focused. And I don't mean inward as in like ignore the customer because most of them they're saying, go out and talk to the customer, talk to the user, learn what they need, learn uh, what problems they're actually trying to solve. But then it always directs those answers into, okay, what do we need to build in our product? And what is the, what is the experience that has to happen within the sort of virtual walls of our product? And when you're talking about integration, what you're actually really talking about, yeah, there's a whole bunch of technical stuff that's involved there, but you're talking about designing cross-product experiences. So what can our product plus this other product do over here to uh, streamline some business process or maybe create a net new business process that wasn't achievable before or whatever the goal of the integration is. And most of our product management teaching at this point just doesn't focus as much on that. So I think that's a big part of it. 
I think some of it too is it's just not as fun or interesting to non-technical people because while there is some UI aspects to doing integrations well, a lot of it's backend work. It's like figuring out how to make servers talk to each other and manipulate data and stuff. And there's a certain type of professional that's real into that type of work. And there's a whole bunch of other people that their eyes glaze over when you start talking about it. So that, that kind of makes it a little bit of a, you know, redheaded stepchild in the organization too. Yeah. And I think there's, it certainly is a big question and there's, there's lots of layers to it because no one, no one now builds a product expecting that that product is going to sit on an Island, right. And not integrate with other products yet, even with that as the backdrop, right. The, the API or maybe more than one API for a product, right. And, and other integrations don't sort of get the same level of credence as the core product functionality does. And so integrations often sort of sneak up right from behind, right. To product teams and, and product owners, because then they because they get sort of caught behind, right? And is there a way to get ahead of that better in your mind, based upon your experience of either culturally and sort of as you were describing from a methodology perspective, respecting and valuing integrations more, or and can a company even if they say, okay, we know integrations are going to be important. We're going to focus on the core product, right? We're going to make sure we nail that. And then we'll sort of get to the integration pieces of it. Are there ways to make the integration piece easier from the start while focusing on the core product? So when they get to the integration part, it isn't as, it's more of an extension and it isn't a lot of rework and a lot of re-architecture and a lot of, a lot of reading happening. Yeah. I mean, there absolutely are different ways you can think about this that, that don't make it such an afterthought. Inevitably, for some software teams, it is going to be an afterthought. And what's going to happen is they're going to get to the first customer that goes, "Hey, love your product, but I need it to make. I need it to talk to my ERP, or I need it to talk to my CRM, or whatever the request is." And almost inevitably, the first reaction is, "Okay, well, we'll just we want this. We want this sale, so just build it real quick for them." And then they'll do that a few times, and sometimes they'll do that a dozen or two dozen times before they realize how hard it is and and have to start taking it seriously. But you can actually sort of head that off at the pass a little bit if you have the right perspective on what your product actually is for your customer. A term that's getting thrown a lot is uh, in, in kind of in our space right now is ecosystem-led strategy. And that's actually thinking about not just what does your product do for your customer and what does it sort of do in its own world, but where does it fit into an ecosystem? And over the long term, how do you how do you build gravity around your product so that it's a bigger and bigger and bigger part of the ecosystem? And, and maybe your, your aspirations are, it looks like a Salesforce or a HubSpot or a Shopify, which is like, you know, one of these, you know, call it the, the sons of the ecosystem where you have like the most people building around you and you're, you're kind of the big boy on the block. Having that perspective about what your product is from day one, and that really comes down to the founders having that vision. Um, helps you tie that thread all the way through so that integration isn't a reaction to customer requests as you're trying to close a deal. Integration is actually a strategic feature that you build into your product and incorporate into your roadmap in the context of this broader strategy. It never works that perfectly, but just having that mindset as early as possible is uh, kind of fundamentally changes the way everybody thinks about it. I'd actually recommend if, if that ecosystem-led strategy stuff is... is uh, Interesting. There's a, f- a few folks out there talking a lot about it. I'd hit up Alan Adler at Digital Bridge Partners, 
Jay McBain at Forrester and Scott Brinker at HubSpot, they talk about this stuff a lot. And some of them are consultants and uh, one's an analyst and, and Scott's obviously in a software company and they, um, they've got some really forward thinking thoughts about how to structure these ideas. Well, and that, that concept and idea of your product being part of an ecosystem and not, not sitting on an Island is a big component to product led growth too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Where you, you have to assume that for you to uh, achieve any level of product-led growth, it's going to have to be integratable. It's going to have to be shareable. People are going to have to be able to invite others and, and onboard others and probably leverage data and content from other systems for it to be that valuable and that shareable. And so there, there is a, I think that's one of the things that often gets missed too, is product-led growth sort of means being integratable. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's almost never part of the product led growth conversation, really. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and again, is it, the earlier you're shifting the perspective on how all this stuff fits together, the more set up for success in integration and ecosystem in all of these things you're going to be for the long term. The wiring of integration sort of post you know, when there's an awareness. Right. OK, well, now now we have to we have to integrate either for a specific customer request or we now want to partner with this other product and this other company. So we've got to be able to integrate and share experiences in some way and share data in some way. How hard is it to sort of integrate post-awareness versus integrating where at least the scaffolding has been put in adequately and appropriately? You know, is, Can you give any sort of sense of scaffolding versus no scaffolding and how much harder it is when, when integration has, has not even sort of been a thought, right. As part of the product build initially. Right. Yeah. I mean, it it really is all over the board and depends on, on what, you know, where that company is and where that product is and where they've attempted to solve the problem before, if at all, you know, you see the problem rear its head pretty quickly, especially in like partnership conversations, because, you know, two companies meet each other like, hey, we have a lot of synergy in our customers. We have a lot of similar ideas and theoretically our products are very complementary. And then they're like, okay, who's going to build the integration? And neither one of them knows what they can do, how to do it, how hard it's going to be, wants to invest the money, all that. I think probably at the highest part of the spectrum of hard, it's maybe somebody who has built a bunch of stuff that actually is, uh, I, I, I guess, uh, makes it harder to build the integrations. Like they've built kind of a crappy API or an API that wasn't really intended to be used for high volume integration. And now they're trying to use it for that because you have to undo a lot of damage to be successful doing integrations at scale times many, many technology partners uh, versus whether you're early or late kind of coming in clean and saying, yeah, this is all net new. So there's certainly a lot of work to do here, but then you have the opportunity to build it with the right mindset and, you know, produce APIs, thinking about how they're going to be consumed and how they're going to be integrated into other APIs and kind of get it right from the outset. But it really is, there's a, there's a complex topology of things that make this harder and easier. And every single company we talk to has a different sort of thumbprint in the, in the scope of all these things that you know, impact how hard it is. So if somebody's sort of dabbled with an API and, and integrations, oftentimes that makes it harder because they think maybe that they're further along than they are. And if they were sort of starting from ground zero, in many respects, it would be easier, right? It can be. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you go far enough down 
down the road of doing things in your APIs or with your product, just more generally speaking, that aren't conducive to making it an integratable product, then uh, yeah, you can you can actually make it harder on yourself than than probably just starting from scratch. That's why you see, you know, not every company does it, but you see on a fairly regular basis people doing V2s and V3s and V4s of their API because sometimes it's it's easier to just start new, especially if you have like really bespoke integrations or just like stuff bolted onto those not really extensible APIs, but you have to have them there now because you put it out there and you support it and you can't make these breaking changes to it without causing major damage outside of your organization. I think I saw somewhere recently, somebody posted a quote that APIs are forever. And to some extent, that's kind of true. So that's, that's why you'll see a lot of companies just bite the bullet and start fresh anyway. And multiple versions of, of an API are okay, right? Because that's, sort of, that's sort of API integration as a product because you, re- you know that it has to evolve. It's going to change, right? And your first API is not going to be your mm-hmm. last API. But how can, how can product teams think about APIs and integrations um, maybe more thoroughly at the outset than just building something to solve one problem or sort of one case study and build it more thoughtfully. So at least V1 isn't a one-off and V1 of an API can actually be a little bit more extensible and, and, and easier to evolve than, oh yeah, we, we built this integration for a customer that we're now calling our API. And what it really is, is an integration for a specific customer and really right. an API because it wasn't very well thought out from a fundamental, how should our product integrate with others and what should we allow people to consume inside of our product? Right. Yeah, there's a, there's a few things you can probably do. Um, one that comes to mind is don't try to reinvent the wheel. So there are pretty well-defined best practices and standards for how you design an API, how you structure an API, the, the, the interfaces themselves, what they look like. I mean, REST being probably the most common that people understand. And trying to adhere to those standards uh, helps make this all a little easier. So yes, it is appropriate that sometimes you do create a version two or three of an API, but there's also best practices for how, let's take a REST API, for instance, how you version that reasonably kind of without doing a wholesale rebuild the thing version two, you build versions into it and you deprecate versions and there are best practices there. So you're not, you're not so heavy handed with how you make changes. Usually if you see an API that's a little goofy to work with, it's because they didn't respect the kind of best practices or standards that are industry known. And they are um, kind of working in their own way that might be kind of thoughtful in some ways, but misses the mark in others. and, And that creates bigger problems. Another thing you can do is when you're thinking about the personas of users for your product, uh, make a point to, to think about people outside of your walls who are going to be doing the integrations as, as that persona. You can think of the interface on an API with many of the same principles you would apply to the user interface in terms of usability and thinking about how somebody's going to interact with it. You know, if you, even if you just had like, the integration person as a persona. And you think about if I put this person in front of Postman or some tool that can execute API calls, how are they going to navigate this thing? How are they going to figure out sort of intuitively what this API endpoint does versus what this one does and how they play nicely together and how you deal with IDs and just having that persona as a thoughtful part of your, of your product process that also makes a big difference from, from the get go. 
Yeah, that's a great segue into to the next question that I wanted to ask, which is how do product teams, product managers take working with integrations and almost incorporating integrations into a product roadmap, right? And sort of, you know, thinking about integrations, not as, as an afterthought, but incorporating it into the fundamental product and the roadmap and, and, and not, not deprior, you know, not deprioritizing it, but almost thinking about, you know, the integration in the API as an important part of the product, which means then it's got to be part of the product roadmap, right? There's got to be some, yeah. some milestones around it, some desired outcomes, right? All the things that product managers sort of focus on. How do you sort of work an integration into that in your mind from a sort of overall product management perspective? Yeah, I, I'd actually, I'll tweak the question a little bit because I think it's, uh, the answer is, is, kind of a little different than the question you directly asked. Most product teams do include API updates and integrations in their product roadmap, but it's sort of like this other thing that they have to allocate time to that's taken away from the core product itself. And there's kind of this competitive, how are we going to, you know, are we going to build this integration? Or are we going to build this, this next piece of functionality in the core product? And it, it's sort of this competitive thing. And I would and say the, it actually, and the integration work often loses in that sort of a, in that sort of, oh, yeah. context, right. Yeah. Until the CEO comes down and says, this is a fundamentally strategic integration or a salesperson coerces the product manager to finally put it at the top of the roadmap or whatever politicking happens internally. There's, there's constant conflict there. And sometimes people, what they'll do is create a whole separate integration team. And there are reasons that might make sense, but we should talk about why you should or shouldn't do that as another kind of point of questioning here. But to solve this sort of conflict, it really does start at the top. It really starts, you know, at the strategic level, thinking about how your product is um, doing its thing inside of its walls and the context that it fits in, broadly speaking, and making sure product managers or the, the head of product for the company has that same kind of cross product vision for where it fits in, because that philosophy will guide everything that happens after that fact in terms of how you organize people around these problems, in terms of how you have conversations about product roadmap priority, all these things. You can even get down into some tactical um, sort of comparison points as well. Like you should have a thought for what the financial benefit to building an integration is. And oftentimes it's quite, quite bigger than just, oh, this one customer's kicking our door down to have it. If there's a thousand more of those customers out there and you may not even realize that the only reason they're not buying your product is because you don't have a certain logo on your integrations page on your on your website, that means there's actually a huge financial upside to prioritizing this and having a process and a methodology for how you consider all that is, is an important part of this. But it does start at the top. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so you teased this with pros and cons of having a, a, a pro, an integration product team right? Separate from sort of core product. What are the pluses and minuses of having the team split apart versus together? I think it's a timing issue really. So yeah, eventually just as, as an organization gets larger uh, for just the sake of specialization and how do you distribute work times many, many more people, like you're going to end up with a dedicated integration team probably, or you're going to end up with people who are kind of dedicated to that area of concern but if you split them off too early, you're encouraging this thought process of it being the other and it being outside of product. So 
I would generally encourage the integration people, if there are specialized integration people and the core product people to work as closely together and maybe organize around aspects of the both internal and external parts of the product that are related to one another, or just everybody's kind of one big soup of solving the same problem, however you want to organize your team, so that it it literally is part of the pun, more integrated in terms of strategy within the company before you kind of specialize and, and break people off. You just really want to avoid, especially early in a product team's life, totally pushing the integration stuff off to the side and, and literally separating that team from, from the rest. Yeah. What core product, how do core product differences sort of translate to integration challenges? And what I mean by that is you could have a SaaS product, right? Or you could have, you know, a mobile product, right? You, you might have, you know, a, a sort of hybrid product, right? That like an Evernote that's, you know, mm-hmm. has a web application also has in mean, many products now are sort of, you know, you know, hybrid products and have web presences and, and, and mobile apps. How do you think about a core products sort of footprint distribution sort of affecting right, integration and, and different integration challenges? Or is in, is in your mind, a core product is a core product is a core product, and there aren't that many sort of different implications from an integration perspective? Oh, there absolutely are. So you first, you do tend to see some consistencies among product types about uh, why certain integrations are easier or difficult. For example, just that it happens that ERP integration tends to be a giant pain in the butt, almost across the board. And that comes more from, I think, the culture of the ERP industry than anything else and just how they've successfully gone to market and how they've leveraged channel partners and all those sorts of things, um, where they basically haven't made that a priority to always have a very nice open API. Well, in fact, it's sort of supported their business model, right? I would say in a backward sort of bastardized way, but it has sort of so supported their business model to have their products be somewhat locked down, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they put up a walled garden and then they build a channel program around that where they're able to monetize the services that get you through the walled garden uh, in, a, in a traditionally pretty lucrative way for a lot of the companies. But you're, you're even start seeing the start, that start to change like, see companies like Acumatica and to some extent NetSuite and like Odoo and this so these mid-market ERPs that are, are kind of flipping that on its head. It's, it's not, it's not going to be that way forever. Right. Um, but, and the, but ERP is just one example, right? ERPs tend to be pretty hard. In my experience, CRMs tend to be not as hard and it's just philosophically a different way to, to build product. But regardless of what the product type is, there's, there's like attributes you can look at that, you know, each different integration you might build or different type of product you're building integrations to or from, you know, we'll have a, you know, there'll be a 10 or there'll be a two on these like different attributes about how um, important and how difficult they are. So are you building an integration that needs to support a million users or a thousand users or 10 users? Uh, Are you building an integration that's moving really large volumes of data, like in terms of number of entities, like maybe you're syncing product inventory numbers times hundred warehouses in real time all day, every day. There's, that's like millions and millions of transactions, small, simple ones, but you're doing them like crazy versus something where you're doing like a one a day batch of, a, of complicated, but fairly small sets of data. Like these are all attributes that describe why the integrations are difficult or easy in certain ways. And they kind of apply differently to different uh, types of products. So CRM, when you're mostly dealing with customer data, looks different than an inventory system, 
looks different from uh, healthcare data. And you can kind of profile all these different types of, of software on, on a set of attributes and, and get kind of a picture for what that looks like. Yeah, that makes sense. One of the reasons that people, I think, sometimes get concerned about and in, in integration often sort of lags the core product is when you start integrating and you start sort of opening you know, up a, a product, there are considerations there. You mentioned healthcare, right? Once you, once you start opening up access to your product or as you're building a product in the healthcare space and you need, now need access to things like EMRs and other, and other data that might have you know, protected patient data in it, how do you sort of think about and, and talk to your, your clients about integration governance, right? And making sure that they're hardened properly, right? And, and mm-hmm. security is applied adequately, right? Because when you start to get into products that have protected data inside of them, and, and now you're wanting to do integrations, <clears throat> that's why integration in healthcare space is still really hard, right? Because yeah. it's not just, oh, here's our API, here's our documentation. It's like, no, 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 you've got to jump through 2 million hoops, right? To be able to get to the point to even be able to touch the data. And then we might mask some of it. We might, we might, you know, anonymize some of it, et cetera. Can you sort of talk about those kinds of considerations and protected sort of regulated spaces around a thoughtful approach to integration? Yeah. I mean, I could talk about how we uh, sort of approach that as somebody who basically embeds ourselves within a product team. Yes, we bring a product and we bring um, some approaches into the mix here to help that product team be successful, but really we embed with them and work alongside them building out their integration program, broadly speaking. So the way we think about it is first, you have to have, you have to have an understanding as a business for what those legal parameters are and what those data privacy parameters that you're trying to adhere are to are. Um, and some of those are um, enforced upon you. And some of those are just, um, you know, to be successful in your market, you have to be, you have to keep this kind of data private and you have to uh, put these kind of hoops in place to, to protect it and all that kind of stuff. And then you have to bring in what are like the known technical best practices for how you accomplish those sorts of things. Like how do you apply security or an API correctly? And how do you make sure you're encrypting data in motion or at rest, depending on what your requirements are so that you can adhere to those requirements. And, you know, I'm not going to personally claim to be a, a super deep expert in all the, the technicalities of data security and API security and stuff like that. I'll let our CTO handle those questions, but you have to, you have to have the, here are the fundamental building blocks of knowledge of the technical things you can do to adhere to those regulations. And you marry that with a product team who has a proper understanding of what they're requirements are whether imposed on themselves or from something like a government. So you guys are you guys are are actually trying to productize integrations, right? I mean because yeah. you ultimately you, you know you referenced a product and 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 you're trying to evolve it to where it's it's not as heavy of a lift, right, for for companies to do integrations. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what what that process is like for you guys to really think about integrations as a product and then to attempt to actually productize it. Yeah, I can. There is uh, we are far from the first company to try to productize integration. There's a whole industry of, of uh, all sorts of different types of products that try to, to try to make integration easier, make it faster, make it more accessible for different types of people. The way we're approaching it is a little different. Um, we, we actually say the, the underlying 
technical capabilities you need, talking to a REST API, transforming data, talking to, you know, dealing with um, binary files like a, an XML file that you pick up off of an SFTP server. Those things are all pretty commodity at this point. It's not, it's not novel to build capabilities that do that. So we started actually with an open source integration engine that kind of gives you all that out of the box. Uh, and we build on top of that. So we'll, part of what we'll do is implement that for customers. So they have just like an underlying integration capability. And then our commercial product, which we're releasing here right at the end of December, I'm not sure when this will air, but this might be out already. It is focused on optimizing that workflow on top of putting those Legos together to support integrations. And our goal is you can build more of them and you can build them faster. So we provide everything from tooling to take you through the, we call it the design process for an integration. But how do you say, these are the use cases we're trying to address which results in these flows of data, which means here's how literally this field maps to this field. We have a really optimized uh, workflow built into a tool that accomplishes that part of the process. Then you hand it off to an engineer and we've got um, you know, CLI and dev tools and services that optimize, okay, now I have this spec written down. How do I actually create, how do I put those Legos together to create the integration really, really fast? And not just do it one time really fast, but over the course of building a hundred different integrations, how do I do it in a way that's very repeatable and very familiar so that they all kind of look the same, even though they're implementing slightly different requirements. Uh, and then, you know, how do you push those out into production and manage those just like you do software that you've built custom, like tying into a CICD process. Um, and then kind of the last part of that is how do you, um, make sure you have good visibility and all the data flying through the platform. Our product is, some of it's out already and we're working on some of these things. Some of these are coming in, in the upcoming you know, year, but really the whole experience of building, pushing it out, maintaining this thing, we're optimizing all of the, basically all the parts of that workflow, reducing as much friction as possible so that this is less of a burden for product teams. Well, and, and that's where people can get tripped up often on integrations, right? Is, is, those, those high friction points of sort of use cases, requirements, um, you know, how, how are they even going to test, right? Whether the integration mm -hmm. is working properly or not, right? So what are their test cases and, you know, inside of it and the data mapping, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's sort of, it's sort of, I don't know, I was going to say funny. I don't know if it's funny actually, but data mapping has not really evolved that much when you think about it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, th there aren't, some of these areas don't have much sort of maturity around them. Most data happen, data mapping still happens relatively very manually, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so these, the productization of integrations, you know, as it is friction in most core products, right, is trying to make someone's life easier, right? And, and to remove friction, you guys are attempting to do the same thing in, in integrations. Absolutely. And it's, we actually it gets to be a little challenge for us sometimes when we're getting started with a customer, because if you're just going to build one integration, the way we think about it, it feels super heavy handed. You're like, I, I just have this one project to do. Like, why do I need to go through this whole thing? And then this whole thing. And I think about this big thing over here. And to some extent, that's right. If you're just going to build one, it is a little over the top, but it's really built and designed for the company that needs to have 50 or hundred or 200 integrations over the course of a few years to, to really take advantage of their position in an ecosystem to build the product that they really need to build for their customers. And when you start thinking about how do you do this over and over and over and then manage all these things at scale, that's where these kind of concrete systems 
and, and repeatable processes really start to become important. So it's a challenge for us. How, how big do we bring in the, the process early? Cause we don't want to, you know, you don't want to bring in this massive system when they're not ready for it, but have enough of that system in place to demonstrate value and then evolve into like, okay, now we've got this factory that's cranking these things out. But it's, 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 you have to be able to see where you're at today and where you need to be and, and reconcile those two visions. Yeah, for sure. We had a client that we started working with probably two years ago. And, and my suggestion was we actually start with the API because they wanted to build a couple of digital products. And I said, well, I think it makes sense to start with the API and then, and, and then sort of work back from there. They didn't see it that way. And they wanted to start working on the core product, you know, roadmaps and functionality. And I was like, you know, okay, you know, and then, and then we, knowing that they would regret that choice and, mm-hmm. and what happened a couple of months ago is they were like, yeah, we should have taken your advice because now, now we need you guys to build the API. And now there's, there's going to be a little bit of, of re-architecting and a little bit of retrofitting, right? But they didn't value the API at the beginning because they didn't have any, they didn't have product yet. Right. Yeah. And so those scenarios are hard to sort of balance, you know, priorities of time, energy, and money around, well, we just need one integration today. Well, you're going to need more integrations in the moving forward, moving forward. What's your business model, right? What's your, what's your strategy? Where are you going with this? How important are integrations as part of it? And, right. and if they say, Oh yeah, I'm, uh, we're probably going to need, 50 integrations in the, in the next two years, it's like, okay, well, now's the time to start putting in the scaffolding that supports that. Otherwise, integration two and integration 12 are, are going to be as painful as the first one. Yeah, it's, it's such a hard trade-off to make for some companies. To, I mean, I empathize for founders and, and product leaders who have to make these trade-offs. You, you literally have to decide how you're going to apply your finite resources and, and say, you know, this is a problem we're willing to kick down the road, even though it's going to cost four X to fix it later. And this is one we have to solve right now. And oftentimes and probably more times than it should API and integration is the one that gets kicked down the road. And it's a, it's a hairy one to untangle if you go far enough with it. But I mean, it's, it's hard. Like, yeah, you can't build an integration to a product that doesn't exist, but if you don't have the integration, the product's not that valuable. So how do you, how do you reconcile that and make sure that you're, you know, spending, especially the investor dollars, spending those investor dollars adequately early so that you can get to even solving the next problem. It's um, but there's, there's definitely, again, starting with having an understanding with your product strategy about where it fits in an ecosystem and, and how it needs to play with the rest of the products that your user is dealing with on a regular basis that, you know, overlaps with the stuff you're doing and having that vision built in early helps to make those trade-offs feel less like trade-offs. There are, you know, there are the Zapiers of the world, right. That, that have tried to sort of do integration as a product and and they serve a role in in place, right. Mm -hmm. Um, In, in the ecosystem and, and to be, you know, leveraged by products. But sometimes I think those, you know, can be, a little bit of an elixir for people in that they think, Oh, well, you know, we'll use Zapier and then, you know, and, and, and it'll be fine and it'll work. And, and then they, they realize they quickly outkick the coverage of those sort of, you know, off the shelf mm-hmm. products. What's your experience with, with those kinds of things and, and where they begin to sort of, you know, erode and, and then in, in, because integrations are often 
not as sort of cookie cutter as the Zapiers of the world would like you to believe. Right. Now, if you're going to, if you're going to do a Salesforce to HubSpot integration, okay, cool. Right. It's probably been done. It's probably been done, you know, 2 million times now using a tool like Zapier might make sense. But if you're, if you're a SaaS product now trying to integrate with an ERP, for example, right. Zapier is not going to play a role in that. Where do you sort of see their role in, 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 thinking about them sort of, you know, as a place in the world and, and companies using them to sort of leverage those off the shelves as the way to use, to integrate their product and make their products integratable. Yeah, that's a big question. So I would put, and the Zapier people may not agree with this necessarily, but I would put Zapier in a category of software products called integration platform as a service or IPaaS. And that is basically a cloud-based product that gives you some amount of configurability or building blocks. And that can be something really simple like Zapier, or it could be something very enterprise and complex like a Boomi or a Workato or a, a Jitterbit. But it allows you to basically assemble integrations to um, accomplish a lot of different goals, kind of using, again, Legos is a great example. You're putting things together. Yeah. Um, those products historically and and for the most part still are built for the enterprise. So they're built with, okay, L brands or nationwide insurance or company like that. You've got all these business processes and all these both uh, bespoke and commercial software products incorporated throughout your enterprise. And you need to share data among them to create efficiencies, to reduce costs, to speed things up, right? So they're really, really good in that context. And that's where they've done most of their business for the, the, the life of them existing. You know, they're even derivative of like, you know, people used to use uh, enterprise service bus a lot as a technology. And I think like MuleSoft is a good example there. They even call themselves an iPads now that they put themselves in the cloud. And before that, there was with like EAI platforms. So there's like this, this, this concept has existed for as long as enterprise software has existed. Um, and kind of... And that, Right. And sort of EDI before that, right, where you're, you're sort of, you know, exchanging documents, but just sort of in, you know, through some some sort of digital exchange. Right. Exactly. I mean, that's that's cross company. It's accomplishing the same goal, though. Right. You're automating right. some kind of business process. So all these products have existed for a while doing that. And that's Zapier is great for smaller businesses who need to tie a bunch of stuff together to automate process. Well, we work with software companies who have to think about how integration is is highly important and critical for their growth strategy and how they accomplish their goals as a company and, and bring on customers and solve their problems, et cetera. So it's a different set of problems. And you're seeing some of the traditional iPads vendors try to pivot to address that need. We are among a class of um, integration software vendors that mostly has started to, to, to tick up over the last few years that is starting from the get-go building a product for solving the integration problem for a product company. And that is a new-ish concept in the industry because the, the parameters of the problem, while it is still integration, are different. We don't, I don't try to sell to L brands in terms of automating their internal business process. That's not our customer. We focus on the SaaS product team. And it's, it's different because you have to think about how that ties into your growth strategy. You have to think about how that ties into where your product fits in terms of your customer's view of the world versus um, how you're just tying a bunch of other people's things together to move data. Where iPass still fits into that, though, is when you're thinking about your integration strategy as a software product team, there's going to be certain integrations that you absolutely have to build. We call those ecosystem critical 
or ecosystem imperative integrations. Those are the ones that you like, if you want to be successful in, in the CRM world, you have to have an integration to these marketing automation platforms and these ERPs and these DHR systems, whatever they are. Then there's ones that are like kind of, they're important, ecosystem important. They're, they're good to have. You probably are going to build most of them, but they're not as high a priority. Then there's ones that are adjacent. They're like, yeah, there's some customers that having this integrated to this is going to be helpful, but maybe that's not something that you like want to focus on as your, is you know, your something you're building yourself and taking core product resources away. And then there's ones that are totally irrelevant. And when you think about all these different possible integrations and how you're going to address them, you need to think of a mix of what are we going to build ourselves? And then what are we going to partner out for? And in many cases, it does make sense to partner out in addition to building your own partner out with some of these iPaaS providers to have them be available to solve integration problems for the longer tail of your customer's integration needs to your product. So it's, it's, you really have to have like a kind of a multifaceted strategy and understand all the different players and possibilities in the ecosystem, including iPaaS vendors, including system integrators who will build a one-off bespoke integration for one customer, you know, including the Zapiers of the world and um, where are all those going to fit into how you go to market? Do you guys want to, have your product evolve and, and for you guys as a company to evolve into being in that iPass space, or is this a separate, wholly separate sort of new space and, and domain expertise that's developing that will sort of sit along iPass companies and products? Uh, our intention is more the latter. You know, if you pull enough layers of the onion back, like the underlying thing is it still kind of looks like an iPass moving, you know, as I said, data movement from API to API is kind of a commodity solved problem, but we don't call ourselves an iPaaS and I don't think the world needs another iPaaS. It's already a pretty crowded market. So we are intentionally saying, okay, there are iPaaS that solve this. There are dedicated iPaaS that try to solve this problem. They're typically called embedded iPaaS because you embed them in your software product, but we're still intentionally trying to be sort of uh, different than how they're approaching it. So one way we do that is uh, we have a hybrid deployment model. We will host the integration engine for you if you want, in which case it kind of does look like an iPaaS because everything's in our cloud and it's just a, a, a software as a service that you consume, so to speak. But we also can deploy the open source engine into your cloud environment. So it's not as a service to you, right? And then we'll help you with the managed services for keeping it up and running, but it actually sits in your AWS or your Google cloud environment right next to your own product and is actually literally embedded in your product. Our services that kind of add value on top of it, those are, you know, SaaS, I guess. They're up there in our cloud always, but the core data movement is happening within your cloud. And that's a model that most iPaaS companies aren't really selling because it fundamentally is not as a service. Um, so that's just one example of how we're trying to rearrange the parameters of the problem and, and truly, truly solve it for a, you know, SaaS product team and build the solution to that problem. Yeah. Makes sense. Carlos, uh, Trixie, if you've got questions, put them in the chat or let me know if you want to come off of mute and, uh, you can fire away at Ryan and, and dig into his, uh, integration expertise. Ryan, I've got one final question. I think um, I always think of. I always end up thinking of more. So that's why I have to. I have to qualify that now. How how does a product's sort of maturity align with integration and maturity? You would think that they would sort of be aligned, right? And as a product matures, right, the integration footprint of that product also sort of matures. 
But given some of the trade-offs that we've already talked about, where often integrations are lagging, does a, a product team and company sort of run the risk of maturing the core product so far in front of integrations that now that there's sort of massive misalignment between the core products level of maturity and the integrations level of maturity. And if you were talking to a startup, right, who's building a net new product, how would you sort of want them to think about maturity of core product aligned with maturity of integration product? Yeah, I, I would say, yes, there is probably a certain amount of correlation between the maturity of a product and the maturity of its integration footprint. And, and that means it's APIs and the integrations that it provides. And we can actually break that down if you want in terms of what the, the actual differences are there. But I would caution that correlation does not necessarily mean causation. So just because a product is mature doesn't mean that that is the reason that the integration or the API footprint is mature. You just will tend to see it that way because a mature product is probably going to be mature in many ways. It can actually be harder for a mature product. I think we touched on this earlier to scrap what they've been doing, if anything at all, and go back and try to solve some of these fundamentals, fundamental problems because they've, they've got thousands of customers or, or hundreds of thousands of users. And they've got all this inertia going in different ways that, that isn't how you would ideally want to build your integration platform or, or your integration capability internally. So that can make it harder to kind of go back and start fresh than if you just approach this right at the beginning. But in many ways, it could also make it easier because maybe you have a more mature team, you have a more mature architecture that will lend your lend itself better to adding on you know, new APIs or adding on new connectivity uh, points and stuff like that. So it's really all over the map. Um, but in general, yeah, you will probably see a mature product tends to have mature integrations, but it's it's certainly not a, a guarantee. Jenna, did you want to did you want to ask something? There yeah, you go. I, it. Um, I actually work for a mature company um, who has a lot of integrations, but they are not mature <laughs> with our product. So that's actually a perfect question for kind of where I'm coming from. We're looking at updating those and revamping, but there's a couple different ways to go about it. Our legacy integrations were built inside our application and we're looking at possibly a new application so we don't have to update those and use that. We're also looking at um, kind of partnering with other vendors who are making that kind of application. So a lot of those questions are occurring and I kind of just like, what is the go-to move for refreshing (laughs) those integrations, would you say? Well, I have a heavy bias towards the approach that we take, <laughs> but there, uh, it is increasingly common that you're going to leverage somebody else's software for at least part of the problem, if not all the problem. And whether that's an embedded iPad in the true sense, it's something that's a little unique, but sort of smells like that, like what we do, whether it's partnering out and just having traditional iPads handle all your integration. There's, there's, there's going to be some amount of a third party involved in the mix. You shouldn't completely go it alone. It's just not worth it at this point. I'd also say a lot of the times for a company that sounds like where you guys are, this tends to come part and parcel with sort of a fundamental re-architecture of the software. I'm going to guess you guys are maybe having conversations about breaking into like a microservices architecture and kind of restructuring how things under the hood are organized, because that oftentimes correlates with you trying to rethink new APIs and new uh, ways to provide your capabilities as services that can be consumed outside of the walls of the organization. So a lot of the times these are all kind of mixed up in the same conversation. 
True. Yeah. That sounds a lot kind of like what we're going through. So I'll look into it. And, and the, the sort of re-architecture conversation and a, and a migration to like microservices that can often slow down the integration progress, right? Because now you're, you, you can get into a almost religious debate, right? About what's the right architecture. And now the integrations get delayed because it's waiting on the architecture decision. And then it becomes this, this almost, it almost becomes unwieldy, right? Because then no integra- no no progress happens on the integration side, while the fundamental architecture stuff has to get resolved and debated and theorized, you know, et cetera. Are you guys experiencing some of that? Yeah, and that's been going on for a while because the integrations haven't been prioritized internally, but they have been prioritized. We have a large partner ring, so they've been prioritizing integration. So they're kind of doing the integration on their side and we're kind of the other party that's being dragged along. So now that's kind of a problem where we have a lot of legacy integrations that are in app and now a lot of integrations that are kind of the tail of another app. So then people are confused as to what an integration at our um, application even is, because for the past couple of years, we've been like, we're not prioritizing integrations, but our partners have been like, you need to. Um, So they've kind of taken upon themselves. So there's a lot of conversations in that vein going on and it's, and it's trying to figure out the best path forward so that there isn't that confusion and we have good integrations because it is important for what we're doing. So your partners got ahead of you, right? The partners tried to fill in the gap, but now you you're stuck with not really having a, a, an integration strategy because the partners, you allowed the partners to sort of take control and to dictate it. And now you, you've got some, disparate things in place that don't feel very connected. Yeah, that's pretty much kind of what's going on there. So definitely intrigued by this whole conversation because we're having a lot of those conversations. But I would say that's not, that's not that unusual, Ryan. I'm sure you guys see that all the time, right? Almost every software company at any level is having a version of that conversation. sounds like you guys are a mature product. So you're having it, you know, in that context, but the similar conversations are happening for, you know, companies that just took their series A and they're like, okay, how do we solve this the right way? I actually wouldn't say it's necessarily a bad thing that your partners are building integrations to you. Uh, we talked about how there's, you know, you're going to have kind of a, a portfolio of different integrations and some of them you're going to build yourself. Some of them third parties are going to provide. One of the arrows in your quiver there is that your partners build the integrations to you, but it sounds like you maybe don't have a strategy in place around being very intentional about what ones are important to you strategically to own and what ones you're intentionally going to say, yeah, this would be nice to have, but we're going to leverage you guys. You guys can build it yourselves to us. And then making sure that your salespeople and your customer service people know the difference and know how to articulate that to a customer. You know, I, I would say if like Ring, for example, is one of your like fundamental products that a lot of people integrate to, it is actually probably, I would probably put it in that category just independent of any other knowledge in, in that category of ecosystem imperative and something that you guys should think about. How do you provide that as a core product function? Yeah, we kind of got to put more focus on integrations in general and stop letting our partners do it because they're also maintenance. This has been happening for a while. So maintenance on those integrations is out of our hands. So we're getting a lot of people mad about them and it's like, we didn't make them. So you got to exactly. talk to this partner. That's become quite a bit of a thing as well. So it's not really ideal in a lot of ways. So, and you know, who doesn't care who wrote the code is the end user. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. exactly. yeah. you know, just, I was just going to say, you might not have built the integrations, but 
to some degree, you then are held accountable for the integrations. Yeah. And a lot of them, the company, like, for example, we had a big rebrand and a lot of the integrations built by other companies still have all our old <laughs> logo on it, stuff like that. So it's just very disjointed um, in a lot of ways. So trying to figure out the best kind of path forward is one of my goals for the coming year. Yeah. Do you, th- do you think there's the sort of conscious awareness now and, and appetite to actually t- you know, develop a integration strategy and to treat integrations like a product at, at the company? Or, or do you think you're still warming up to that? Um, there's definitely a conversation about it. There's two paths we're thinking of going down and it's kind of at the point where, which one do we choose? And one of them would be as a product we have, uh, the way we currently do it, you're, it's in our app. You can go to the integration, set it up there. That's kind of one option we have. And then the other one is, uh, a, a separate application for that purpose so that it would be all new integrations in that new app that we would be building. So both are a product, but in two different ways. One is using the current system and the other is having a whole new thing coming in. So, yeah, makes sense. Well, you know, it, you know, use both Ryan's as, as sort of resources moving forward. If, you know, if you want to chat, I'm sure uh, I'm speaking for Ryan at this point and he's still here. So he can actually speak for himself, but I'm assuming he would be fine to, you know, continue the conversation and, you know, to, help you guys think about it and maybe ultimately, you know, figure it out in some ways. Absolutely. Our our, our team is made up of these crazy people that actually enjoy getting into the weeds on those, those highly technical, weird integration questions. So I'd love to have that conversation. (laughs) I've seen it all. (laughs) Ryan, thank you. Appreciate it. Good to see you, my man. Thank you. And appreciate everybody jumping on. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for coming. Need some help with product? AWH is a digital product consulting, user experience, and software development firm here to help you create great digital products. Check out www.awh.net or follow us on Twitter at awhnet to learn more.